0: Welcome to the IHEP Michigan Podcast. IHEP Michigan is a member-based organization backing hemp farmers, seed cultivators, processors, manufacturers, and hemp businesses statewide. Our members are engaged in defining the path to success for industrial hemp from seed to sale and beyond. We are committed to empowering hemp farmers, fueling industry leaders, and educating consumers to ensure hemp flourishes in the Midwest. Our focus is influencing responsible and fair regulation, providing grower education, and enabling full access to the evolving marketplace. IHEMP Michigan advocates for wellness in people and the planet through HEMP, and it begins with the farmer. This episode is brought to you by the Midwest IHEMP Expo that will be held January 10th and 11th at the Lansing Center in Lansing, Michigan. Midwest Hemp Expo is your opportunity to learn, connect, and plan for a bountiful 2020 harvest. With four workshop speaker tracks and over 100 exhibitors, everything industrial hemp will be available to you. Visit MidwestIHEPTExpo.com for more details. In this episode, we talk to Eric Anderson of Michigan State University Extension Office. My old friend and longtime broadcaster, Michael J. Thorpe, takes the lead on the interview in classic radio style. I think you will enjoy this as we go through the basics of the plans to grow industrial hemp in Michigan for the first time in decades. On to the interview. Yep. I'm Michael J. Thorpe with an
1: iHemp Michigan podcast. Our goal here is to educate, inform, and promote the research, development, and cultivation of industrial hemp. We think that industrial hemp has a bright future for the economy and the environment, and we're here to bring information as to how that works. For more information, by the way, to learn more about the hemp of the future, go to our website, iHempMichigan.com. Joining me today is the vice president of iHemp Michigan, Dave Crable. Hey, hey Michael. Um, this morning's guest is going to be Eric Anderson. He's a, a, a field crop educator with Michigan State University's extension office, and uh, I understand that uh, Eric is the, uh, kind of taking the lead in the hemp at uh, Michigan's uh, foremost agricultural college. Good morning, Eric. morning. is is it is it true that you're uh, you've taken on the lead in this uh, actually, it's a pretty exciting opportunity that's coming back from the past.
2: right. so there's
1: there's a handful of us that are working on hemp. Uh, we,
2: we basically convened a meeting back in December when we saw that the, the farm bill was going to pass and was getting signed. And the, the group includes specialists on campus, so professors, and then a handful of us educators who are county based, like myself. Uh, and the lead on the group is Kurt Thalen, Dr. Kurt Thalen. He is, his actual his primary role is with bioenergy crops on campus, uh, but he's also taking on industrial hemp.
1: And, and, but, and what you do as a, a field crop educator is you work directly with farmers. Correct. Um, and, and what kind of things do you do with a farmer?
2: So a lot of what we do is education. Uh, our quote-unquote meeting season is over the winter when you know, the farmers have time. <laughs> and stuff. We will put on meetings for them. Um, uh, a, a lot of the, the work that we do is, is tied with our specialists. And so our specialists are doing research on campus and around the state. And so we give the specialists opportunities regionally to get that uh, information out to producers uh, we also have uh, i'll say smaller meetings uh, regional meetings um, and, and that's uh, it, it could be a, a, a conglomeration of the information that we're, we're getting from campus it could be some some field-based research that we do ourselves out in the area um, and then in season um, a, a lot of what i do is primarily uh, electronic uh, folks are Uh, not as prone to come to meetings uh, during the season every once in a while they'll hit a field meeting Uh, but a lot
1: of what i do is either through email um you know webinars that sort of thing um are are farmers excited about this opportunity are they questioning what 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 are they looking at as they're hearing about the opportunities in industrial hemp so
2: the what I'll
1: say are the traditional farmers that I've talked to, you know, the
2: typical corn, soybean, wheat, you know, the, what I'll say, row crop farmers who, who I work with the most. Um, there are some who are interested, and, and, and a few of them that I know anyway have, have jumped in. Most of the folks that have contacted my office are. Um, they, they could be farming uh, to some extent, uh, it could be uh, on a smaller scale, it could be more vegetable farming, uh, but a lot of folks that are contacting us are just, they're new to it, they, they really haven't done much if any farming. Uh, they've heard about it, they're interested, and they want to start, they want to know if this is for them. Uh, so I really get the full range, but I would say in general, most of the farming community... Um, you know, that they hear about it, but they don't know that much about it. They're not all that interested at this point, but some early adopters are.
1: Hmm. I, you, you were talking about getting more interest from people who aren't traditionally farmers, but really um, with industrial hemp, my understanding is it's going to take some real farming practices in order to make it successful.
2: Right. It, it it's really dependent on the type of hemp that's grown and I would say most of the folks that have contacted me so far uh, are focused on CBD and so that type of a system uh, probably lends itself a little bit better to the smaller scale farmer. Uh, you're looking at smaller acreages in general and, and you can you know make uh, financially you can make a go of it uh, with smaller acreage. Uh, I would say definitely though with um, you know seed or fiber, types of hemp uh where you would need and in fact i just i answered a question from uh, e extension uh, something online and ask an expert um, something that you can do online and they were asking about the equipment that would be needed and that was a fairly lengthy response because it really depends on on the type of hemp you're growing uh the type of system and and really just laid out here's all the different types of equipment you would need and so yeah in that respect it definitely would be advantageous to to not only have the farming experience but also have the land and the background a lot of the capital already laid
1: down Uh, we're talking with eric anderson a field crop educator with michigan state university's extension office and let me let me start with a real basic question what is hemp
2: all right so industrial hemp is cannabis
1: cannabis sativa.
2: Uh, it's the same species, the same plant as folks have heard about with marijuana. Um, so when when a lot of people hear the word hemp, they just assume we're talking about marijuana, Cheech and Chong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the you know the snigger factor is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the so, so having said that though the the, the plant can be bred uh, like other types of plants are, it can be bred for specific purposes. And so industrial hemp legally. Must be below 0.3 or 0.3 percent, or below uh, THC, which is that uh, delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol. Um, that that's that psychoactive part uh, that's in marijuana. Uh, marijuana plants uh, would have something, you know, 10, 20, even 30 percent THC. So
1: 0.3 percent is essentially no THC. Is is it so, hard? Is it hard to eliminate the THC in uh, this uh, uh, in the plant?
2: It's, it's not. Um, there, there's, there's actually a precursor chemical uh, in the me- metabolic pathway for the plant that will produce either the CBD uh, or the range of CBDs um, or THC. And so being able to basically uh, breed or select for plants that are low in THC and higher in CBD is, is what they've done. So there's many different varieties available uh, for seed, for fiber, uh, for dual purpose, for CBD um, that are low in THC. And so really the, the only difference among the plants, uh, there's a lot of variation within the species, um, the canopy structure, tall, short, you know, how, how big and bushy it'll get, uh, but Really, the only difference between marijuana and industrial hemp is that THC level, which again legally has to be at .3% or below.
0: Eric, do you see uh, them raising those levels? I know we've been talking to M.D.A.R.T. about that. Do you do you see any any push in that direction?
2: I don't. I have heard that, uh, for example, I want to say it was West Virginia, was that they had themselves uh, 0.5 percent. I've read that uh, uh, I think it was Western Australia had looked at one percent which again is is still way below the level that you would need in order to you know make it a a viable option for those wanting marijuana or wanting that THC Um, but I don't see a move in that direction anytime soon. I think it's going to take a while just to get everyone comfortable with industrial hemp as a crop period in the United States. Hmm. And so after that, then I can see where um, there might be some sort of a push. And I think it would probably have to be at the federal level where, you know, that number could be bumped up, you know, again, 0.5, 1%, you know, whatever. But yeah, I don't see that happening in the near future.
1: So the um, the seeds that we're talking about uh, to, to grow the industrial hemp um, they have to be specially produced because, you know, most farmers just can't go out and find some. You have to you have to buy them from a specific provider.
2: Right. So uh, this year it's been a struggle.
1: Uh, and that's probably one of the main
2: calls or emails that we get into the office is Where do I find this stuff? How do I find a reputable seed dealer? Uh, if you just do a quick Google search, um, you'll probably be able to find news articles from um, primarily out west. But folks who have really gotten burned and have lost um, you know, millions of dollars uh, because they purchased seed and it's ended up being junk seed, uh, either <clears throat> really poor producing or the THC levels are, are very high and they had to destroy the crop. And so this year, because you know, basically the whole nation is, um, has been opened up and, and folks are, are interested in producing it, uh, the supply has been you know relatively thin and so that means that your your quality producers those who actually have a really you know i'll say scientific uh, germplasm development operation uh you know those have been secured already and so then you're down to folks that just have some seed that they've produced you know at some point and those are you know being sold so the the seed the answer to your question you could just go out and grow seed yourself um and uh, and then see what you get. Uh, and, and again, I, my suspicion unfortunately is that that's what a lot of what's being sold this year is going to end up being. But in order to to get the seed, let's say if I wanted to purchase it from Canada or from another state, um, there there's some regulatory um, framework that's in place. There's still a little bit of a gray period. Uh, hopefully uh, 2019 will be the end of that. Uh, as far as getting those things moved over state lines uh, I've talked with folks at MDARD uh, USDA APHIS um, seed is much easier to move but if you're looking at bringing in plant material uh, particularly if there's soil involved uh, anytime you've got soil moving or plant material uh, USDA APHIS will probably have some sort of a quarantine period just to make sure that uh, they are able to inspect it make sure that there's no pathogens soil-borne or otherwise are coming in with that. Um, but it's it's possible to move seeds, and that's, I would say, a lot of what's been sold in Michigan this year has is, is come from uh, out of the state.
1: Uh, how do you know how, what the level of THC is? I mean, you can't tell by looking at a plant or you can't tell by looking at a seed, can you? Right. So ideally, when you're purchasing the seed, you
2: would have a certificate of authenticity or a, a that the, the pr- people who are selling it to you have done verification that their line that they're selling it to you from has been tested, uh, not just once, but you know, over several seasons and has been below a certain, you know, let's say 0. 0.1 or 0.2%. So they should be able to provide you with that information ideally. It's... But no, you can't just look at the plant and, and tell. And in fact, honestly, you can't just look at the plant and tell whether that is, you know, marijuana or industrial hemp, uh, you know, because, again, it's all the same species. Some people have said, no, I can really tell. Uh, but I've, I've heard other folks who have been working with it for quite a while, and they say, no, you really can't. There's, like I said, there's, you know, more tall types of plants or short, bushy types of plants, but both of them could either be high or low THC. So really the only way to know is to get those tissues tested, and that's what's required for growing it, is to be able to provide that data to MDARD or, or whatever state you're in, their, their Department of Ag, uh, to verify that you aren't growing a, a crop that, you know, they call it going hot, that has that level of uh, over 0.3%. Eric,
0: there's two ways to measure the THC level. There's um, could you talk about that for just a second and the way that uh, Michigan is using?
2: I, I actually can't. Uh, the questions that I've asked for uh, testing, what are they testing? Is it a certain form of that THC? Or is it all of the, the THC? Is it just that Delta-9? Um, I know that there's some debate about which is, uh, which is more reliable. Um, I've also asked about uh, testing facilities uh, within Michigan and uh, I don't know that we have guidance at this point uh, the the word I got was that MDART is planning to develop its own testing lab oh. uh, It's probably not going to be up and running for 2019 and so and this is this is probably two two or three weeks ago that I had this conversation, but uh, they were they were saying that they were in conversations with Lara to see if they could utilize those facilities, those labs that they've been approved for. Uh, Lara, process. what's Lara? What's Lara? The Lara is that so um, marijuana has, you know, been around a little bit longer in Michigan and so Lara is the agency within Michigan who's tasked with overseeing that. Their marijuana. regulatory ah, Okay. Right. It is completely separate from MDARD's. So if you are and I've had folks that call in and ask, well, can I grow both? Can I, can I have my? And I really, I honestly don't know much of anything about the marijuana side. MSU is only—we're restricting ourselves only to the the CBD and uh, you know seed and fiber. We're not we're not uh, programming, doing research, anything with the marijuana side uh, because at the federal level, it's still a Schedule One narcotic even though it's legal. Um, the, the state of Michigan has legalized it. So I really don't know that much about marijuana, but the two agencies are completely separate. So Lara has approved a certain uh, number of testing facilities uh, for those purposes. And so the the idea, and I don't know if this is what I, is actually going to play out, but they were looking at having um, early conversations anyway to see if if uh, industrial hemp users could use those facilities to get the testing done for this year while MDART is, is uh, getting things up and running.
0: Michigan State's not offering any testing?
2: We're not. I just got an email from, I think it was Kurt Thalen. They were they were looking into doing some testing in one of the labs up there just for their own purposes, for their the research projects that they have going on. Um, but to my knowledge, there's... Uh, we're not planning on, uh, and in fact, we don't do much tissue testing on campus. Uh, a lot of the, you know, even the crop samples that come in, a lot of those tissue samples we send out to other labs like uh, A&L Labs in in um, Fort Wayne. Uh, we do a lot of other types of testing. But, uh, but yeah, to my knowledge, we're not planning on doing uh, THC testing. Is um,
1: uh, Eric, is, is the fact that... Uh, uh, the cannabis plant, no matter what it is, is a Schedule One narcotic, according to the federal government. That, that's a real problem for in, in uh, well, you're at Michigan State University, but in educational areas, in the law, and in agriculture, th- th- that's really a big issue, isn't it?
2: Right. So, and, I, and I've had folks, um, I don't know, not necessarily question, but just sort of bemoan the fact that, you know, there is such a, a fuss over uh, the CBD or industrial hemp in general, and, you know, while the red tape. And it really comes down to the fact that it is the same species. And if you, you know, were to have you know plots of this stuff growing out and about and you're a law enforcement officer, you, you can't tell, you would have to rely on, on the person who's, uh, hopefully would be able to show you that they've been licensed with one of these two agencies, but just looking at it, you can't tell. So, um, Now, we, uh, MSU, we're under, um, uh, I guess, a different type of restriction because we do receive USDA funding. Um, We receive funding from the federal level. Uh, My suspicion, and I don't know this for sure, but my suspicion is that there are other institutions of higher education that that are doing work with marijuana, uh, whether it's uh, medical or otherwise. But, but uh, us as a land grant, uh, we're we're not. We're only looking at industrial hemp.
1: Um, you know, let, let me ask a question that goes way back. I, i'm I'm understanding that uh, the hemp has been around for hundreds of years. We've used it here in this country. We, to make rope and cloth and all kinds of stuff for years. Where did the plant originally come from? Uh, originally? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like I know squash started here and ended up in Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so where where did the uh, uh, cannabis plant uh, originate? They believe that it came originally from
2: China, East Asia, that general area. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the cultivars that we're working with now, even even the ones that have been uh, bred for for you know a decade or more in the states, uh, are coming from Europe. So uh, that germplasm has you know a lot of it we still get from there, but um, the the germplasm we're working with. Uh, traces its roots back to the EU.
1: What, what kind of, um, as as you're looking at it from an agricultural point of view, what kind of things, uh, opportunities are there in the industrial hemp side? I mean, we we know it makes rope; it's been that way forever. You can make cloth, but are there other things that we're looking at as well that uh, we are beginning to see some interest in? So the the folks that have contacted us uh, are again, like I said, mostly
2: looking at the, the CBD, and so that would only be that product that they're getting out of it. There's not much more you can do with that biomass. I was just talking with uh, somebody that we're um, just beginning a research project with, and he said uh, to his knowledge there is no dual-purpose um, hemp variety for CBD and fiber like there is with seed and fiber. So the the folks that have called and, and have shown interest in the seed or fiber side, um, on the seed side, you know, for the most part, you're going to have to find your markets. Uh, some folks are, are looking to develop their own product. And, um, just like the folks who are, um, you know, growing CBD and they might be making their own creams or, or something like that. Um, on the seed side, you could have the same thing. Uh, what, what I've heard on the fiber side, um, there's There's some interest and in, in I, I cannot imagine that the the market for this would be very substantial, but there's some some potential there for auto parts. So you've got dashboards or the the interior panels of cars, that sort of thing, where you could use the, these these bast fibers, these higher quality uh, hemp fibers, and integrate that into um, you know basically make it a bio component to these, these plastic parts instead of having it be uh, sourced from petroleum products or at least a, a portion of it. Um, the, probably the low hanging fruit would be those lower quality fibers. So if you if you were harvesting the stem and you, you know, let's say that you had the equipment to separate those out and take those higher quality fibers out the lower quality fibers. Um, you know, in fact, I had somebody from I think they were from the east side of the state and they were asking about, uh, or they, they had a friend down in Kentucky, I think it was, and they were talking about just how great this horse bedding was that they had. And what was it? And it turned out that it, was, that it was hemp. And I said, well, where do you get that? You know, how, do I, um, how do I get that? How do I source that? And um, so that's one thing that this person was looking at, was potentially looking to either do a dual purpose or just for fiber, uh, but just for use on farm. Uh, of course, that's you know lower quality, so it's lower value. Um, but it, I think there's there's a big enough range of products that uh, there's several markets that could be developed. But it, especially for fiber, I think it's really going to end up being a local market. You just you're not going to be able to ship this stuff very far, I don't think, uh, and and still have it be you know financially viable.
1: Now, Eric Anderson is at Michigan State University, a field crop educator, which means farmers and people interested in farming call him to ask the questions. And I'm, I'm curious when it comes to industrial hemp, Eric, uh, what are the two or three most common questions that you're getting uh, from people that are calling you?
2: Yeah, so I would say probably the most common question is, what do I do with this stuff? How do I find people who can process it, who can market it? You know market development is probably the number one question and unfortunately i don't have much of an answer to give them i i often direct them to the the ihem michigan folks uh, because there's that list of business members and you know i i can't say anything about those those folks listed on there but that would be at least be a place to start building your network
1: it's kind of uh, kind of a little but, google <laughs> yeah. right
2: yeah but aside from that i really don't have you know there's uh, MDARD has all this information about the people who are registered, uh, either as a grower or as a processor handler, uh, but that's not foyable, so you, you, they're not giving out that information at this point anyway.
1: Okay. MDARD? Is that, <laughs> MDARD is?
2: MDARD is the uh, Michigan's Department of Ag, the okay. Ag and Rural okay. Development. Uh, so MDARD is the group that is tasked with all things industrial hemp um, from the, the licensing to the growing um, and, and, and also with, um, and like I mentioned before, with um, verifying that everything that the USDA says needs to happen actually happens at the state level. Yeah. Um, this, probably the second most common question I get is on the sourcing of the, the seed or the clones or whatnot. Um, and then at least recently anyway, um, uh, some of the production questions uh, with regards to fertility uh, what what kinds of fertilizer how much fertilizer uh, for a while I had a number of questions coming in about irrigation and so back or oh, a couple two three weeks ago now um, I worked with our irrigation educator um, who's also uh, located in my office and we put together a, a webinar that was just done. I mean, I, I talked a little bit about the basics, but then uh, he and another guest speaker came on and, and specifically hit that topic of irrigation. Um, so I think uh, folks who are just starting out, uh, they've got a, a, the range of questions. And so um, MSU, you know, we're, we're learning just along with everybody else. This is our first year at it, but uh, we're offering the information that we have available to
1: us. You know, what's interesting, Eric, is that um, we're witnessing, what could be at the beginning of what could be a major industry i mean this is really ground floor stuff that you're dealing with and that these uh, farmers are dealing with isn't it
2: right and and honestly there have been other crops that have come up um, over the years that people thought was you know it was going to be a you know the the next best thing for michigan and you know they came they some research market development never panned out and so you know, there are people who look at it and, and think the same thing, and there are others who say, well, yeah, it's just like, you know, um, edamame or canola or any number of other crops that have, have come and gone. And so there's there's definitely some speculation, but a lot of hesitancy as well among the farming community.
1: Well, just, just like I suppose any other business, you're right. I mean, the, the, it, 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 it could work really great, but, uh, you know, you, you never know. We're talking about, uh, in many ways, it's a gamble, isn't it? Right. it's it's there's risk involved obviously but it's
2: it's I tell people we're at the ground level like you said uh, lots of things need to be put into place uh, infrastructure lots of process lots of market developments so there's a lot of things that have to happen for this to, to, to actually go forward um, so yeah it's there's risk involved but it'll be interesting to see just you know, what kind of potential there is in the U.S. and here in Michigan.
1: You were uh, alluding a little bit to the ecological use uh, uh, in talking about, uh, uh, you were talking about dealing with, uh, you know, with water. And I've heard other people talking about how the ecology, uh, it could be helped by the use of industrial hemp. Can you kind of talk about that potential for a second? Yeah, I've heard, flames along those lines.
2: I actually am not 100% sure what they're referring to. Um, I know that it is, um, it, if you've lived long enough and, you've, and you, you can go back to when when hemp was being produced earlier in the 1900s uh, for rope, um, and then you know they stopped that, but there was still a bunch of uh, what's, what's often called ditch weed. So there's hemp that's growing out in the wild Um, And some people have thought, well, you know, could I feed that or could I use it as a cover crop? Um, And so there's I'm sure that folks will do some research on that. You know what? How good of a cover crop would it be? Um, It's a tap rooted plant. So is there some potential there that it would, uh, you know, maybe do some soil busting, you know, like our tillage radishes and, and those sorts of plants? Um, I've been told, and again, I, we haven't obviously done research on it, but I've been told that it's, it's a, a good plant for uh, bioremediation or phytoremediation, which means you've got something in the ground that you don't want there. Maybe it's heavy metals, uh, some other toxin, and it's, it's, there's something about the plant, and again, I don't know much about that, that allows it to take up those chemicals store it in its in its uh, tissues and then you can harvest it and remove it and so there there could be some usefulness along those lines um beyond that again i've heard that claim about it's being uh you know good for the environment and things like that and some of that i suspect is because it, it's the the end products are so varied and so useful, and you can use it for, you know, different petroleum product replacements. But beyond that, I don't really know what the claims are uh, for the, the environmental
1: aspect. Well, it's it's still they're still studying all the different potentials. What I you know what I keep on hearing, and I've heard you talk about it. And I've heard other people talk about all these potential uses for industrial hemp, how it might, you know, uh, uh, suck bad chemicals out of the ground, um, how, how it, uh, uh, you know, it can maybe hold soil in place. Uh, it, it, are there, it seems like it's got a lot of uses and you're, you're not quite a botanist, but do, do all plants have this many uses or is, is this one unique?
2: Well, so it, it has, there's a number of uses, I think all plants, you know, they've got the fiber, they've got, you know, the potential to produce seed. Um, you know, a lot of plants, I shouldn't say all plants, but a lot of plants, the seeds, you know, could be useful for something. Um, but w- with with hemp, similar to corn, um, you know, corn, you'll have a grain that if you harvest it at the right time, you could eat it fresh. You know, if you breed it for that purpose, and that's where sweet, sweet corn comes from. Uh, you could have different variety and dry it down and you can make that corn into a whole host of different things you know from um, corn starch to ethanol to so um, so there are other crops that are just as versatile um, you know the, the fiber that we get from flax or cotton um, just turns out that in, in this country we we went that route instead of with hemp but you could use those hemp fibers for clothing, like you mentioned before. So I don't know that it's unique among all crops, um, but it, it, I guess it probably ranks up there as far as its versatility and um, the production of the plant itself.
0: Well, well, it needs a little less water too, doesn't it, Eric?
2: It tends to be a little more, I, I don't know that I would say drought-hardy, um, what we do know is that it doesn't like to sit in water. <clears throat> and so, um, you, I mean, it, it definitely needs water. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, when it goes through these hot periods during the summer, it will, it will get stressed just like any other crop. Um, but you don't want to have it, um, you know, get too much water, but as far as how it compares with uh, water use, so let's say with, uh, you know, sorghum or corn or soybean uh, i haven't seen numbers on that
1: um you, you were talking about uh, uh flax and corn and it, and all the different uses well, one of the things probably that's happened is there's never been any law against studying what you can do with corn but for the last 70 80 years there's been laws that says you can't touch you know uh, cannabis it, it it really has uh you know limited the potential uh, over the past uh, almost century hasn't it
2: Right, and and again,
1: I've I've heard folks uh, again question slash
2: complain <laughs> that uh, well, you know, do corn farmers have to register with the state uh, where they're going to grow and how much they're going to grow and get licenses to grow? And and yes, I I understand that and I I know what they're saying. Um, I, I guess I'll just I'll refer that back to my my comment about um, you know the. Uh, the fuss you know, the law enforcement um, difficulty with differentiating it but but you're exactly right there's there's no um, stopping any research on corn or any of the other you know crops that we have uh and and that's why we're able to you know have you know millions and millions billions really of gallons of ethanol produced because there's been uh, a market for it there's been an industry there's been you know decades worth of research gone into the fermentation process the co-products and so that whole industry was able to happen uh, which really helped corn farmers and made it uh, i guess remain a viable crop even though the prices have been really low so so right i uh, want now that we have uh, a new potential crop that will have the ability for research uh, and not just at the universities but you know, uh, entrepreneurs—they're—they're uh, they're smart and they're creative and they're willing to take risk. And so, I think there's going to be a lot that's learned um, in the community this year and at the university. But you know, I, I think there's great potential. Uh,
1: it, all these things you were talking about uh, kind of goes back to the to the challenges of dealing with cannabis because of the. Legal issues and all that. So, so I'm a farmer, or I'm and, I'm, and I give you a call, and I say, okay, I'm thinking about uh, dealing with uh, industrial hemp. Um, tell me, uh, Eric, some of the things I might have trouble with. Just you know, maybe the the top three, four things that that I'm going to have as challenges uh, for this crop.
2: So, with regards to its
1: cousin, um, I guess one of the challenges would be. Um,
2: that you don't need permission from from your township or from your neighbors to grow it, but um, and, and to to a great extent, I think the folks who are licensed this year, a lot of them really don't want anyone in the area to know what they're doing. simply because they don't want to be misidentified mm-hmm. as a marijuana farmer uh, or they don't want their crop to be vandalized or or stolen. Um so there's that issue um the the I guess uh, the gorilla in the room what we haven't really addressed here is this issue of pollen shed mm. and, and pollen contamination I've had conversations with folks about um and and just a quick background on that Please so yeah <laughs> a lot of the the production that's going to happen this year is with CBD hemp uh, and similar to marijuana production those are all female plants that's the goal is you only want the flowers you don't need the rest of the plant and so it turns out that not only do you only want the female plants but you want non-pollinated female plants once those those female reproductive parts once they become pollinated then that that CBD level goes way down. And right? so you can so see, and the same thing with THC on the other side. So you don't want cross pollination on the other side, if you're producing seed or fiber, those you're just planting out the seed uh, at first for seed production. Obviously you want pollination, you want males and females for fiber, you know, you'll, you'll plant you know essentially a 50, 50 mix of males and females. And so there's a lot of pollen from those male, plants that are that's flying around and the numbers that you hear for the possible flight of pollen uh, they're 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 actually pretty staggering um, I've heard three to ten miles I saw one study that uh, was done over across the Strait of Gibraltar between Africa and Spain uh, and they had uh, marijuana pollen you know going across the the, the Strait there uh, which is I think it was almost a hundred miles so, so that, and I've had people ask, well, what's up with that? How, why does it travel so far? You know, when we have, for example, when we have speed corn, which we grow a lot of down in my area, uh, we're we're talking about maybe a 300 foot setback where I have to grow this particular inbred, um, you know, 300 feet away from from other corn. So, why does this pollen travel so far? And, and part of it is um, windborne part of it is obviously pollinators, you know, so you'll have bee uh, movement. The the number that I've heard the most often is you want to shoot for three to 10 miles away, tend to be on the safe side, but a minimum of three miles to minimize any pollen transfer. And so one gentleman that I was talking with was, was planning on, I, I think he had even had some conversations with, um, a seed source. I don't remember if it was in Europe or where, Um, but they they had done their homework. They were, you know, moving forward. And then they found out that uh, a neighbor, um, I think he was only a quarter mile away had had gotten licensed for a a CBD hemp production and was going to, you know, had, had gotten, I think might've already gotten the the plant material and everything. Um, And so as I was relaying this information about that, uh, it was an eye-opener and he said well i don't I don't want to mess up his production um, I don't want to be responsible for that and I don't want bad blood in the community and so at least for this year they decided to you know postpone that production
0: hmm
1: it's uh, a, uh, other, a, a, oh, a but, another challenge there and that's a that's a big challenge is are there any other plants that can be pollinated from ten miles away
2: I, I haven't looked into that. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I've, I've heard folks talking about, you know, other schemes that, you know, you could put into play. The, the one that I uh, saw, I don't know how much traction it would have, but uh, and I don't really know anything about this, but the, the, the wine, the grape wine industry, uh, they have these, uh, I think they're called Appala- Appalachians or Appalachians. Uh, they're, they're different regions or districts and for them, they, um, for, for example, if you want to sell something, I'm just making this up, but if you want to say that, well, mine is a Napa Valley wine, well, then the grapes have to have been grown within this certain district. And so uh, somebody, I think it was out in Oregon, came up with the idea, well, why don't we do something similar to that for hemp production? And if you want to grow, for example, CBD hemp, well, you can only grow it in, in this region. And if you want to grow for fiber, you grow it in that region. Or maybe it would be on a county basis. So I've had conversations. Well, actually, I haven't had. Uh, I, my boss uh, at Michigan State has had conversations with them. They're, they're aware of the the, the issue. Uh, they don't have any answers at this point. and And as far as we know, uh, no other states have put into place any regulatory uh, framework to try to deal with that. I've heard folks say that, well, my goodness, you know, in Kentucky, they've got all sorts of different cannabis growing and they don't have an issue with it. I think we're blowing it out of proportion. So I think it's going to remain to be seen, but it's, it's definitely something to, to, to think about and address. Uh, another case study is something that's going on within MSU. Uh, we have uh, just a, a few different research projects uh, within the university, well, one of them is located up in the, the Upper Peninsula on one of our research farms. And um, for for those, they're only looking at uh, seed and fiber production, so dual purpose. Um, and some folks up there, um, I want to even say that some of the town officials, uh, they they caught wind of that, and they were really upset about it, because apparently there are some I don't know if it's marijuana or CBD growers in the area. Um, but knowing that there was going to be male plants in the area, um, they were they were awfully upset about it. And so our the, the person who's in charge of that project up there, I don't know that he's decided yet. But unfortunately, uh, we may end up having to terminate that uh, early. Their, their hemp is already uh, flowering up there. And they may end up having to terminate that, you know, just because we, you know, we don't want bad press. We don't mm-hmm. want others to, you know, to think badly about what we're trying to do, you know, with our research in the university. So, so I think this this issue of pollen spread, I guess, would be one of those other considerations that a hemp farmer would need to deal with.
0: Is there a website to register? Blaine had mentioned something about drift.
2: Right. So there's if you are applying pesticides Uh, there's something called drift watch Mm -hmm. and and you can just google that and it's a voluntary thing so if you are and there's certain restrictions on that supposedly so if you are planting a certain number of acres of let's say you know processing tomatoes or something you can register uh, and that means that if let's say there's um, there's somebody who's growing Potato or corn and they need their their field sprayed for a fungicide or an herbicide or whatnot uh, they can go on to DriftWatch and find out what fields in the area are planted to what and and you know make decisions based on that so the idea is well why don't we have something similar to that um, and again drift watch is voluntary um, but Let's just say it's voluntary and, and so I can go on to um, um, whatever you might want to call it a hemp watch website and and I put my acreage in and I say, well, here's what I'm going to grow and then somebody else who's, you know, like, like I mentioned with this other situation that somebody else is going to be growing a different type. Well, then they'll know, well, I'm going to have male plants and so, you know, I'm only this far away and you can make your decision based on that. Um there's potential there. It's, the uh, I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's how effective that would be. Number one, because as I mentioned before, there's a lot of uh, hemp farmers who wouldn't really want everyone to know what they're growing mm-hmm. and where, um, you know, it's, it's fine. They need to get licensed for it, but they don't really want the whole community, you know, with, with folks who might have, uh, you know, less than good intentions in mind. And so, it's it's a little bit of a catch twenty uh, two if you leave it up to a voluntary
1: basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, industrial hemp then is really intense agriculture. Uh, what I'm what I'm what I'm understanding is uh, you you grow it in different ways for different purposes. You have to be concerned about pollen drift. You have to be concerned about. Uh, uh, the federal government coming in and having t- there, there's there's a lot of things that these farmers have to be thinking about as they as they uh, look at industrial hemp. Exactly, it's it's it's
2: different for the different types. So if I'm let's say I'm growing a dual purpose uh, seed and fiber crop, um, I, I'm not concerned about pollen drift, um, but I am concerned about the THC level, and so I might have. You know because because i'm planting more on an, on an agronomic basis i've got you know let's just say uh, 30 to 50 pounds of seed per acre i've got uh, maybe it's irrigated maybe it's not but i've got a certain amount invested in that but if that crop gets dressed or if i mismanage the crop um, or let's just say we go through a hot dry period and and that thc level starts to creep up um You know, there's there's the risk with this particular crop that I come in, and when I'm told to to test and send in those results for THC levels, if they're if they're too high, uh, I may be out. You know, all of my crop would have to be destroyed. So, you know, that's I guess that's another difference between uh, you know that and you know let's say a corn farmer is (laughs) I don't have to destroy my crop and my crop maybe gets destroyed by other things, you know, toxins or, or hail damage or whatnot, but, but I don't have to worry about that regulatory
1: um, hoop that I've got to jump through. There's, there's lots, lots and lots of, lots of questions, which, which brings up uh, the obvious question here. Michigan State University is one of the world's premier agricultural universities. Is, uh, is MSU uh, committed to really looking at how, how this industrial hemp uh, agriculture can work? Yes. Um,
2: The the researcher that I mentioned, Kurt Thalen, he has been working with, uh, I think it's 14 other universities in a multi-state project looking at um, variety selection. So as we just mentioned, there's so many different variables that you could study. And so we're we're starting with this. we're we're focusing only on that dual purpose on the seed and fiber because at least at this point anyway there's there's some question about uh, cbd the production the processing Uh, because cbd is overseen by the the fda at the federal level and all other aspects of hemp are are governed by the usda uh, there was some question about whether we should be using usda-based funds to doing research on cbd and so for this particular this first run of variety trials we're just focusing on on the other two mm. but in uh, in conjunction with that we've got other researchers on campus our our entomologist our weed specialist our pathologist who are looking at um you know what what are the pests going to be uh, there's there's nothing there's no chemicals that are labeled for use in industrial hemp, which is another whole you know can of worms we could talk about. Although I just got an email from somebody a couple days ago that some product, I think it was some sort of a natural oil kind of a product, but some product had just gotten labeled, but I haven't looked into that. Hmm. But really, right. we need to we need to know what the pests are going to be, um, how much of an impact is that going to have here in Michigan we've got data from other states but uh, so we've got researchers on campus who are looking at that as well so we're, we're definitely um, we're definitely committed to doing research on it uh, we're, we're just we're starting with what we can do in 2019 and then we'll move forward from there
1: uh, dave do you have any other questions here for uh, eric anderson
0: no this is good uh if you could just touch on maybe for some farmers looking to get started uh spacing requirements and and such, getting set it up, set up. Uh, you know, for CBD, are you looking at uh, like thirty to forty inch spacing? Where versus, uh, if you're going for the seed and fiber, it's a lot tighter spacing, isn't it?
2: Right. So the the recommendations that we're looking at primarily are coming from uh, Kentucky and Ontario. Uh, they both have uh, some really good information online. Um, the, the spacing for fiber is the tightest. Uh, you're definitely wanting something less than 10 inches between the rows. Uh, a lot of farmers are set up on, let's say 30 inch, you know, row spacing for corn, and then you can back that down. So 15, seven and a half inches. So we recommend something along the seven and a half inch um, per uh, in between rows. Uh, and, and for fiber, you're looking somewhere in the 40 to 50 pounds of seed per acre. Um, and, and planting probably somewhere between a you know a quarter inch and a half inch, um, and that's true for for all the hemp. For seed, you just want to space that a little bit wider, just so that you can allow more of the the seed heads to develop. So you could still plant on seven and a half, but maybe drop that back to seven or excuse twenty five to thirty five pounds of seed per acre, uh, but you could widen those out to fifteen inch rows if you wanted. Um but yeah, like you mentioned for for CBD hemp production, there's there's so many ways to do it. Um, but most of what I'm hearing is you're looking at uh, some kind of wide row spacing, let's just say five feet and primarily that's just so that you can get your equipment down the rows. Um, and then within the row you're you're looking at uh, again, I, I've heard of some folks doing tight row or excuse me tight spacing Um, but most of what I hear is somewhere between you know let's say 10 and 20 square feet uh, maybe 25 square feet I've heard um, per plant which would mean if if I'm on a five foot row spacing that means five feet between the rows and then five feet between plants within a row Uh, but um, it really depends on the architecture of the plant Uh, as I mentioned there's tall skinny versus short stubby uh, more bushy so you you want to know from your supplier what what to expect kind of like when you go to home depot and you buy a plant it'll say right on the tag well this is how tall and how big around how 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 wide the space and so Mm -hmm. your supplier should be able to provide you with some of that information Um, but then um, beyond the row spacing there's all kinds of other variables from how you're going to fertilize or irrigate or take care of those weeds. Um, are you going to use plastic mulch or are you going to plant right into the ground? Are you going to use seed or are you going to plant plantlets?
1: So a whole lot of things that we could talk about all day, everyone.
0: We <laughs> well, we certainly appreciate your time, Eric. Yeah, I do. Is
1: there something that uh, you think is really important uh, that uh, Dave and I forgot to ask you about? Is there is there something you think is just really important for people to know? Yeah, I think we hit the major... Uh, hot button topics at this point. Um,
2: So just uh, as a shameless plug here, there's a a, a webinar series coming up that MSU, um, actually one of our greenhouse educators is hosting this uh, later on this month and into the early part of August. Um, It's not just focused on greenhouse, um, although that'll be a significant part of it, but Uh, If you go on to MSU's website and just do a quick Google search on there, you'll find out about it. Uh, You can register for that. Um, Like I mentioned, we had uh, a couple of um, presentations that are archived, and uh, MSU has a a webpage. uh, It's called Hemp Production. And so we've got uh, a white page, uh, excuse me, a white paper that this group that I talked about uh, we put together earlier this year. Uh, That can be found and downloaded for free from there. Um, we're, we're still working on getting the webinars um, placed onto that webpage, uh, but those will be publicly available. Um, and I am sure that as we move forward, moving into the, the fall and we start to get some more guidance from the USDA and then MDART that uh, we'll have more educational opportunities. And, and I know that I uh, Michigan will, will also have uh, other opportunities as well.
1: Yes, we will. Uh, Thank you very much, Eric Anderson, uh, field crop educator at Michigan State University's Extension Service. We appreciate your time. And actually, we've learned a lot from you today, Eric. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been an iHemp Michigan podcast brought to you by iHemp Michigan, looking at the opportunities industrial hemp brings to the future. I'm Michael J. Thorpe, along with Dave Crable. Hemp, by the way, is one of the oldest new products ever. It's been used for centuries for everything from clothes and rope to paper. But today's industrial hemp is growing the future from the seeds of the past. Now, if you wanna learn more about uh, hemp and the potential here in Michigan, put in your calendar January 10, 11, 2020 for the Midwest IHemp Expo at the Lansing Center. You can get information there at ihempmichigan.com. And of course, it's kind of a prerequisite, although you don't have to go. You might want to check out our Hemponomics 101 programs to get you prepared for the big iHemp Expo coming up in January. We call this one Intro to Industrial Hemp, Farming, Processing and Manufacturing. Once again, go to the website
0: iHempMichigan.com This episode was brought to you by the Midwest iHemp Expo. We hope to see you in Lansing January 10th and 11th of 2020 to plan and prepare for a bountiful hemp harvest. Special thanks to Inflective Sales and a Creative Marketing for their production service. To get involved and start learning more about industrial hemp,
1: fires, floods, and freezing weather, we will always stand with the American
2: farmers.